I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in Pretoria is Dr. Mzile Nabonuka, who is United Nations Undersecretary General and Executive Director of UN Women. She's currently serving her second term in office. To give a little bit of context, from 2005 through to 2008, she was Deputy President of South Africa, overseeing programs to combat poverty and bring the advantages of a growing economy to the poor, with a particular focus on women. Prior to this role, she served as Minister of Minerals and Energy from 1999 through to 2005 and Deputy Minister in the Department of Trade and Industry from 1996 to 1999. She was a Member of Parliament from 1994 through to 1996 as part of South Africa's first democratic government. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's always a privilege to host someone like you who has truly lit the torch that lights the path for so many women that makes their journeys easier in the future. To start with, I'd like to begin with your work in the UN. So UN Women is dedicated to gender equality and the empowerment of women. As a global champion of women and girls, UN Women supports UN member states to make the vision of sustainable development goals a reality and it stands behind women's participation in all aspects of life. And I understand that there are five key priority areas from women leadership and participation, ending violence against women, engaging women in aspects of peace and security, enhancing women's economic empowerment, and making gender equality central towards national developing planning and budgeting. Could you share with us a few of the highlights and some of the work that's progressing in these various areas? So, uh, and uh, good evening, and uh, to you and uh, the people that will listen to us. On in the area of leadership, which um, is quite uh, key uh, in all uh, countries, because uh, we don't have adequate representation uh, of women in the private sector, in the public sector. Uh, in in community institutions um, uh, uh, even but for women who run for office every country where there's an election my team is on the ground we're helping the women register we're helping the women run we're helping them rehearse even in front of the mirror to prepare to give the speech but also to uh, encourage them to go into parliament and to be focused on delivering and making a difference so that women can you know be in politics uh, for a purpose we also uh, work at local government um, a lot it's been exciting for us to see us increasing the number of women in local government in Pakistan in India in Afghanistan countries that you wouldn't think uh, you know you would get this kind of, of, of we have more women start. in Pakistan in the National Assembly than in Congress in the US so that's quite interesting I know I think that's a very yeah. interesting dynamic and it is one yeah. of my questions yeah. a little later yeah. so of course we work on ending violence against women with a whole lot of other partners because the issue is so complex it's so difficult we, we need everybody I've decided to focus on working with men actually and young women who works with men primarily because if men were to stop beating up women 
case closed. But we actually need uh, to encourage uh, this kind of uh, constructive masculinity, uh, both from boys and from men, but also men in positions of authority, to use that authority to stand up uh, uh, for women. So in fighting violence against women, we focus on that. We help police academies around the world to train for uh, prosecuting and preventing violence against uh, women and making sure that they know you know how to deal with those uh, with those cases I don't know if we making as much inroad I'm looking forward to be working with our minister um, here as well and of course uh, we also work on women peace and security and sadly that is the portfolio of our work that is growing because of the number of protracted conflicts around the world so we are in Syria, we are in Iraq, we are in South Sudan, we are in, 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 in DRC. We've just pulled out uh, from um, uh, Colombia where we were there for a protected uh, time until the, the contract uh, was there. And it is actually quite sad that now we are having to figure out how we deal with violence against women that is perpetuated by non-state parties in many of these conflicts. So there's no Rome statute to talk about. Uh, there's no law enforcement that, uh, that you could do. And because rape and sexual violence is now a weapon of war, women are actually part of the uh, 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 instrument and the arsenal that is actually used to fight, uh, to fight war. We've seen more girls becoming suicide bombers. So that's quite a, a It's a, a worrying change. So, yeah. We work a lot on counterterrorism as well uh, because, again, and sadly, it's, it's also an area of our work that is, is interesting. We work on women's economic empowerment, which is at least you get to do something nice, seeing women entrepreneurs who excel, uh, who do uh, work that, uh, um, you know, uh, helps you to celebrate uh, talent and so on. But because our work tries to focus on where we can change systems, we also work with institutions uh, in the economy. So we work uh, uh, with stock exchange to push them for their uh, listing requirements to ensure that they push for better representation of women by the companies that are domiciled um, uh, in, 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 in those stock exchange. We, we also work with chambers of commerce at, at every level to push them to do something more for themselves. And then we work with large companies in terms of companies, for instance, the marketing and advertising uh, companies, I mean, uh, the big companies that do a lot of, of advertising and uh, dominate in terms of uh, what becomes the, pro the kind of uh, uh, image of a woman. It perpetuates the image of a woman. So and we have formed the with them an anti-stereotype alliance where their responsibility is to focus on anti-stereotyping uh, through the way they advertise and and um, and and they market, and of course we work with member states, which is a challenging job. But uh, you know, 200 of them, uh, it's quite a yeah. Well, thanks for sharing the the breadth and yeah. depth of the work that is currently mm -hmm. happening in UN Women, and I'm glad that you mentioned that your emphasis was also about looking at the male angle on the contributions that men and boys make in terms of combating gender inequalities. And under your watch, we've had the he for she mm. campaign launch. Yes, yes. There has also been 
impact 10 by 10 by 10 yes. which I understand is a framework of government yeah. institutions yes. and, and corporates yeah. Yeah. could you please share how yeah. so came about? Yes, is a, is, a, is a campaign as a platform to enable men to come out as feminists and feel cool about it that's you know uh, this is who I am and I want to play a role in this movement for gender equality and it is actually exciting because they come with such ideas, the kind of things that probably you and I would not think about. Uh, so here in South Africa, for instance, our he for she team works in taverns because, you know, alcohol plays a significant role in violence against women. Uh, the Catholic Bishops Conference has partnered with us, so they literally uh, engage in shipping on the subject and also make sure that uh, their the, patrons uh, in, their, in, the, in their communities uh, report acts of violence. They actually go to court to accompany the victims if, uh, if need be. We don't know which way this is going to go, but it is actually quite interesting because these are the most unlikely people that yeah. you, you'd want to work with. But uh, the 10 by 10 where we work with heads of states, for instance, we encourage uh, the head of state to choose an issue that is crucial for their country, that they will take personal responsibility for driving. For instance, uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland is leading on equal pay. They are the country that uh, is strongest on gender equality, but they are not good on equal pay. They are not good on violence against women. They are not good on adequate participation. Uh, so, but he just wants to, to dedicate himself on equal pay. President of Malawi is focusing on child marriage, uh, the legislation, the, the implementation, the advocacy that goes uh, with that. President of Indonesia focusing on trafficking and uh, you know making sure that he, he takes it as his personal pet project to actually follow up and make sure. President of Japan focusing on women's economic empowerment. So we use also those uh, role models in those communities and beyond. Sometimes to be the voices where people will not necessarily uh, engage with us in the same way because you know we are the usual suspects. They expect me to say what I'm going to say, but if it comes from the president of Japan, then it's like, okay, why is, why is he talking about this? and people they uh, pay more attention sometimes. But it's a real paradigm shift because the struggle traditionally in terms of going for equality has been women fighting for women. But you know, for me, I think apartheid uh, taught me something. When we fought apartheid, it wasn't just us black people just by ourselves. The struggle was inclusive and part of uh, uh, being able to make uh, the anti-apartheid anti struggle so global had to do with bringing everybody and allowing people to be active in their own right in the spaces that we're in. So I'm literally using the anti-apartheid playbook in, and, and trying to now uh, apply it in the, in the fight against gender equality. Well, it sounds like it's working. People it's have it. risen <coughs> to the challenge mm. and are, are taking it on. In areas of, of leadership, and one of the things that you highlighted clearly was that we do not see enough um, penetration of women within the government space as well as the private sector. One of the things that I found is that legislation and quotas oh, yeah. are 
sometimes used as interventions. Mm -hmm. They're not universally mm -hmm. acceptable. Mm -hmm. But I challenge it by saying if women aren't given a ticket to the game, how are they going to be a player? Well, also, I think for me, one of the most frustrating things uh, on, on uh, leadership and participation in politics, for instance, where people have to vote, if you don't have a threshold that uh, political parties uh, have to enforce, every election you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it is unsettling. You cannot actually consolidate a power base uh, for women. So, yes, uh, some uh, temporary measurement uh, until such time that, uh, you know, the, the stereotypes and the prejudice against women have changed, I think that uh, unnecessary. Uh, I mean, in one um, country, the women voted against having quotas, uh, and they had like 15% of women in, in Parliament. They went and we lost everything. It was heartbreaking. So... Uh, and why? Well, they felt that uh, they wanted to sort of like, that as in Ukraine, they wanted to fight on their own rights. It just sets back yeah, that wheel that has been and slowly just that all over forward. again, and people get really demoralized. Yeah. But on the leadership aspect, I consider that when women occupy positions in government, when they've served as heads of state, that it's significant for several reasons from demonstrating, one, the empowerment of women in governance, Two, that women in these positions, as you said, they serve as role models for men and other women. And thirdly, having suitable gender representation is important for policy development as well as policy yeah. implementation. And in your experience, you were Deputy President of South Africa. In your current role, you're serving as United Nations Under Secretary General mm. and Executive Director of UN Women. Could you share some of your perspectives on the subject? You know, um, the majority of women I find who get into positions of authority do try to think about uh, how can I make this not just work for me, but uh, open doors for other women. doesn't happen all the time, but I think it happens most of the time. But I think that uh, it is important that uh, everyone who is in a leadership position takes responsibility to be a leader for everybody and to open the doors uh, for as, as many people as possible, uh, for the, as many race, gender, abilities uh, as possible, because you also don't want to have everything that will benefit women to, do, to, to depend on women. It's too much on women. And uh, sometimes those that have authority, who just by a stroke of a pen can bring about change, changes, uh, if we are not engaging with them, we are going to be banging the door all the time. So I think uh, now I'm beginning to finesse the art of finding the open doors and just walking in through them, while obviously you continuously mobilize uh, for banging off the doors because that is still necessary in a number of ways. So um, I think for me, getting men to take responsibility in, in while I'm in this job is my biggest thing because it's a big constituency. And to ignore. I feel feminist of my generation, we wasted a lot of time being angry at, uh, at men and uh, not bringing them, not bringing them along. But also we have to be careful that when they come along, we don't treat them as special people because it is a, their responsibility uh, to be there for humanity, 
at all its best because that also could send a, a, a different so it's a dice one it's not a popular choice by the way there's a lot of feminists who feel give me a break those guys that you know they're, they're some nice guys like the ones in this room <laughs> so we have to and you have to start society. early hey? orientation we absolutely because at the age of six already girls begin to think that they are no good that there are things that boys can do that they can't do, which is devastating in this day and age. But that puts a big onus, I would say, on parents, parents yeah. particularly mothers, yeah. who no, are bringing them up and absolutely. showing them the way. Yeah. Whilst we're on, on the leadership topic, building female leadership capacity is incredibly important for the future of women mm. across the globe, but yet we see still too few female yeah. heads of you state. You know, for Africa, for instance, uh, uh, we have formed a network uh, called the African Women Women Leadership Network, and we are wanting to make sure that uh, we will have a chapter in every country in Africa. We are now having some presence in 34 countries, and the idea is exactly to mobilize as many women as possible to avail themselves for leadership position, but also to stay in solidarity with each other, mm. uh, to make the issues uh, visible, and to also focus on reforms in the spaces where discriminating women has been normalized, because no one ever asks. Uh, so in most of the countries that we're in, I never leave a country without going to meet the Electoral Commission just to check what's up. What do you, how do you work with men? Because in many, in, in many countries also, we have a lot of violence against women who run uh, for office, making sure that they've got the measures uh, to, address, uh, to address that, uh, trying to understand that uh, the, the way the rules work in that country, that they do not uh, prejudice uh, women. And of course, uh, always encouraging uh, consideration for some form of, of, of quota if one doesn't exist. If it exists, thanking them profusely for having it. Yeah. And I would imagine a lot of partnering because you can't do it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Parties yeah. have to come yeah. to yeah. the table as well yeah. to participate there. So in the conversation we've had so far, when I look at almost the, the, the factors that are playing out for women's equality, one, we've got tremendous issues about gender violence. Mm. Two, we don't have enough women in leadership roles yeah. where we mm. need to have... And it's a universal problem. Mm. ...women's voices mm. heard, but mm. also acted upon. And then the third area, which uh, you, you'd said is almost a, that the fun piece, mm. is about empowerment mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But that requires skills, resources, yeah. education. Yeah. And I consider that education is both a skill and a resource which contributes to women's empowerment for the betterment of not just mm. themselves but also to their families yeah. and communities and you've been a passionate supporter mm. of education not just in terms of your mm. own qualifications mm. but in terms of being able to help others develop mm. and really get to their their own level and potential uh, most recently you earned your phd in 2013 from the university of warwick for work using mobile technologies to support teacher development in resourcing poor nations. How would you say the study has impacted on helping our educators educate? Oh, it really changed my life. I wish I'd done it much earlier in my life uh, because I, there's lots of things I would have done differently as a policymaker. 
because the less you understand sometimes uh, for instance technology you could be intimidated and you stop uh, your staff and your team for doing exceptional things because you are afraid of PMFA. What if they mess it up and I have to answer to treasurer? Uh, you can't do this and you've just missed an opportunity for a big data opportunity that would impact on so, on so many things. Uh, so it was really eye-opener. It was not my fault. I just took a leap of faith, went and stayed with really clever young people old enough to be my grandchildren quite humiliating sometimes, making a big nest full of myself, but I mean, learnt a lot also uh, 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 from them. So I think I probably uh, am much more open, I, I mean, or already in UN Women, we yes. are using blockchain to facilitate a, a transfer of money to the, the women that we support who are in refugee um, uh, camps. Uh, we, we are experimenting, of course, at, at this time. But I think if I'd never gone to do my PhD, I would not be one of those people who is always in the f on the on the front line to try and make my institution uh, to use as much of what is available and making sure that uh, for these uh, big problems that we are trying to solve and we want to reach millions of people all at the same time, uh, you cannot do it the traditional way. So, um, so it's, it's really been a, a, a game changer. That technology is completely revolutionary mm. and I'd say it demands new skills to function and But also it can be a, 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 a just as much as it can facilitate equality, it can also exacerbate inequality because uh, there is the technology has and the technology have not. If you think of a child in Guadalupe who doesn't have an iPad and a child who's in Santon, they are learning so much, they are galloping, they are actually leaving their peers yeah, uh, behind. So not unless, which is now my thing, I, I try to engage with policymakers, we need to invest in access to technology in the poorer schools. It's not as a luxury. It is as, as important as a desk, as a toilet, as any of the basic infrastructure. Because otherwise, we're making these kids uh, use a typewriter in the age of, of of computers, and they are so ready. They are so ready. Um, and this is what we sometimes we, I mean, pro poor budgeting at its core. It's about making this decision and being laser focused in making sure that uh, you don't do the orthodox. Same thing as gender responsive budgeting. Uh, you really have to be asking yourself as the treasury uh, about uh, the extent to which, for instance, uh, if you don't uh, invest in maternal health, uh, the kind of complex problems that you're going to catch up because people will end up getting sick from preventable disease, which will cost you much more if in the first place uh, you had been proactive. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, I, I, I guess, uh, uh, unorthodox things that we need to do as decision maker. And I have to say, management science doesn't always teach people to be disruptors, which I think is a pity. Someone has to speak to those that are responsible for for training in that area about, you know, the, the, the fact that uh, we may not be preparing uh, the managers for the future. That, that the future set of skills is completely yeah. going to change. Yeah.
But two points that you raised, one from technology access, I almost think it should be incorporated in terms of our, our fundamental human rights structure because that dividend and the divide is just going to become greater. Yeah. But also in terms of the, the, the types of skill sets, we frequently hear that women are on the back burner when it comes to education along the lines of, of STEM subjects as science, technology, yeah. math, But also, again, on, this, on the issue of STEM, the focus on recruiting students for STEM because they've come through a particular stream from high school to their bachelor's degrees. Everyone uses technology. You can be a leader in the tech world coming from music because musicians use technology. They know how to use it. They do not need to have done a, 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 a degree in computer science. So diversifying the way we learn, deploy, and use people's skills, and allowing uh, learning, especially at undergrad, uh, to be multidisciplinary. Someone must be able to do biblical studies and computer science and geography. I think, you know? I think there's a sentiment that there needs to be a lot if of they can. unlearning <laughs> happening, yeah. but we need to be almost networked thinking yeah. and being able to draw on, on mm. resources from different areas. Tonight you are giving an address for the ninth Tabo Mbeki mm. Africa Day Lecture titled Gender Equality and Women Empowerment, mm. a Necessary Paradigm Shift in Africa's Quest for Development and so Poverty so Eradication. <laughs> Long title. You really have to be learned. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> Without giving too much away, could you tell us what the central message is? Um, well, uh, it really is um, an emphasis on the need to change the structures that govern and overarch, uh, uh, for instance, uh, take the, the, the African Union itself. Uh, we have a, a free trade agreement. That is what needs to be engendered, not a piecemeal, a piecemeal of fund of microfinance for women is good, but the real game changer, if we're doing a paradigm shift for really addressing poverty, is making sure that the free trade agreement is, in, when it is being implemented, it will be designed with women traders in mind, because women do a lot of cross-border trade. Yes. They are, their goods are confiscated. They are subjected to violence uh, when, when they, go, they go around. They get to be arrested. I mean, the stories that I have head from women who trade uh, are tremendous. It is a real opportunity uh, to think about women when you also develop infrastructure. Which infrastructure truly liberates women? Water, sanitation, energy. If you are NEPAD, that's the game changer uh, for women. So the paradigm is about putting women in the design of the macro and the superstructures that we create in society because after all this is the majority. The women are not a side event. It is the center stage in society. You get it right there, everything else falls into place. 100%. They enact their responsibilities onto their family. We're joined to the end of the interview and one of the questions that I ask all my guests who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider to have contributed to their success. Some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance. What would you say have been some of your key drivers? Um, I think uh, 
and maybe I've been lucky being able to defend to depend on teams uh, wherever I have been I think I have been able to work with teams of people uh, that uh, I can be supported by and be and be corrected by and you know uh, eat humble pie um, now and again I think that thing of just being able to know that uh, every day you decide that you don't know and just work with it but also when you have a little bit of power use it being decisive just as important otherwise you clock the system uh, so you know the, the nice balance between being able to be a team member and making your team not to feel that you are absolutely exercising authority and power over but you are exercising the power with but at some time hey taking your power and making sure that you take responsibility so yeah and amazing bits. lastly in closing the conversation today it is Africa Day could you please share a few words of inspiration which you'd like to pass on to our ladies listening on the continent well you know this continent has such amazing uh, people who do extraordinary things I would just like to say to the women in the continent never think that your contribution your journey your story is too small you just will be surprised at how much that is what is gonna change your life and the lives of other people uh, without you let's stop this thing as Africans sometimes of being so, so modest that people think that someone else can do it better than you just go there if you make some mistake hey you know failure is the new success so go out and do it failure is the new success thank you very much yes. we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today on womanity women and unity channel africa the african perspective thank you that was Dr. Pumzile Mlabonuka, who is United Nations Under Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women. We now cross over to listen to part of her address for the 9th Tabo Mbeki Africa Day Lecture 2018, titled Gender Equality and Woman Empowerment, a Necessary Paradigm Shift in Africa's Quest for Development and Poverty Eradication. Today, it is Africa Day. Today it is also a special day for those people who believe in Africa. On this day, the Africa Day of 2018, we are discussing a subject of gender equality and women's empowerment and how it intersects with the, our quest for development and poverty eradication and the paradigm that we need to create for that to happen effectively. I think the topic uh, correctly suggests that we reconsider the paradigm within which we conduct our work of advancing gender equality and development in order to eradicate poverty. But allow me to first also pay a tribute to Mama Albertina Sisulu as we celebrate her life that was lived with purpose for a purpose. In the face of tremendous adversities, the purpose never changed. 
Her dignified leadership continues to inspire us, and her advocacy for the emancipation of women will never be forgotten. Malibongwe. The fight for gender equality and women's empowerment is universal and important for men and women. It's important for all women, no matter where they live. It is important that when we think about changing the paradigm, this includes a universal approach to fighting for gender equality. Across the world, gender inequality affects women, including those who live in societies that are more gender equal, who could be also affluent. They are not insulated from domestic violence, from wage inequality, from being overlooked when a candidate for a head of state is being sought after, when it is time to ordain a bishop, she could have been singing her lung out in the pews every day and all the time whenever she was there. But come time for leadership, she does not feature. So it does not matter where you live and where you are as a woman, this struggle is yours. There is also not denying that the violation of rights of women hits harder on women who live in harsher conditions, such as women who are gripped by poverty or women who are in societies where crimes against women are tolerated or located in conflict-affected areas or in areas where women and girls bear the brunt of the dehumanizing encounters with armed fighters. Our call to women and men is to continue the fight in all countries, because at this point, there is no country that has achieved gender equality. And this means, therefore, all hands on deck. Violence against women is a problem in all countries. Impunity is entrenched. A man can be a serial abuser, even abusing famous people in Hollywood for decades and get away with it. In countries where rights are protected and there's equality before the law, but she will fear losing her income, risk of poverty, and the stigma that comes with it and keeps quiet. That is why the struggle is universal. Underrepresentation of women in decision-making decision -making bodies, from parliaments to media houses to both corporations, is a global problem. Whether you are in Sweden, in DRC, in South Africa, in India, we are all still fighting to win on this front. Overrepresentation of women amongst the ranks of the poor and in low-paying jobs is a problem in all countries. Wage inequality is a problem in all countries. From Iceland, which is a country 
that has the highest indicators for gender equality to Yemen. As we speak, the Prime Minister of Iceland, who is a he for she, part of a movement of men who stand for gender equality, has adopted the fight for equal pay as his fight because he accepts that there is a problem in this country. Today we celebrate Africa Day. The scorecard for Africa and gender equality is mixed just like you would find in other parts of the world because the challenges are considerable but what is encouraging is that the determination to win is also considerable. So there is no way we can give up. Women and men of all ages are increasingly mobilizing, are mobilized in order to make sure that they will rise up to the needs of this continent. The AU has been a positive force for gender equality. Even when it has not been able to act on the commitment, it has used its stature, its convening power to support initiatives that come with young people, with governments, ourselves as the United Nations, and different institutions. It has also been able to mobilize governments to work together, in particular, to pass and adopt legislation that advances gender equality. African women are also taking steps towards building their own movement and strengthening the movements and the organizations they have, in part to ensure that the fight for development and the fight against, and the, and the fight against poverty is also about changing power relations because we are not fighting for development and power that will make us subservient. The la in the few months, in, I mean, in the last month, we convened in Addis Ababa to inaugurate the African Women Leaders Network, a network that we intend to roll out in the 54 countries in Africa, we now have focal points in 34 countries, and we hope to create chapters in every country that will be in touch with the issues and the dynamics of that country, but also be linked in a coordinated way with issues that affect all of us as a continent. The AU also has entrenched gender equality in its institution, fighting to ensure that we reach parity within the institution of the, of, of, of the AU. This is expected to be something that we can also emulate as member states. That was Dr. Pumzile Mlabonuka, who is United Nations Under Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. <laughs>